EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is out. Trump rallies in Montana and we check the mailbag. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Uh, many a new day will meet my eye. Many much news will find me. Okay, in any case, we are going to talk all the news. We're going to get into the mailbag. But first, I want to remind you that our national debt right now is $21 trillion and counting. Why do I remind you of this? Well, because the money that we now owe other countries is greater than the entire economic output of the United States. If your entire life savings is tied to the U.S. dollar, you should ask yourself a question. What is your plan for hyperinflation, particularly if the left decides that it wants to blow out spending even more? Hedge against inflation and hedge against uncertainty and instability with some precious metals. Gold is a safe haven against uncertainty. Now, I'm not saying that you should take all your money and stick it in gold, but I'm saying that my savings plan is diversified and yours should be too. The company I trust with precious metal purchases, Birch Gold Group. And right now, Thanks to a little on the IRS tax law, you can even move your IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver. It's perfect for people who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically, when the bottom falls out of everything else, gold tends to safeguard savings. Birch Gold Group are the folks you should trust. They have thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. You all know about Birch Gold's free information kit. For a limited time, qualified purchases can earn up to an additional 10 grand in precious metals for free through July 31st. To find out if you qualify, contact Birch Gold now. Go to birchgold.com slash Ben. Talk to one of their reps. Mention I sent you. That's birchgold.com slash Ben. Do it now. The offer only runs until July 31st. Terms and limitations apply. Ask your sales representative for details. Okay, so the big news of the day is that EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt is out. And I want to begin by saying that Scott Pruitt totally deserves to be out. So a lot of people are coming to Scott Pruitt's defense. They are suggesting that he was unfairly targeted. They're pointing out the EPA under Barack Obama was scandal ridden. Yes, that's true. The EPA under Barack Obama was indeed scandal ridden. I remember when they turned an entire river in Colorado yellow. You remember that? They, they were trying to get rid of some waste and so they blew up a barrier in the in the place that was holding the waste and infused an entire river with this bright yellow copper-tinged gunk. It was great. You know, the EPA under Barack Obama was a disaster. That said, was Scott Pruitt on the up and up? There are a lot of people out there defending Scott Pruitt today saying that Scott Pruitt was on the up and up. It was all targeted. Well, if that's the case, then you have to wonder, why is it that the only Trump administration officials who have been forced out were forced out for actual reasons of corruption, like Tom Price over at the Health and Human Services desk or Scott Pruitt over at EPA? Like, they haven't found anything on General Mattis over at Department of Defense. They haven't found anything on Mike Pompeo over at State, even when Rex Tillerson was there and he wasn't a good Secretary of State. They had nothing on Rex Tillerson. And there are a lot of folks who are who are defending Scott Pruitt today, saying that he was just targeted because he was such a do-gooder over at the EPA, reducing regulations. But the guy who is going to be replacing him, Andrew Wheeler, is going to be just as activist, from what I understand. Donald Trump tweeted out, I have accepted the resignation of Scott Pruitt as the administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency. Within the agency, Scott has done an outstanding job, and I will always be thankful to him for this. The Senate confirmed deputy EPA. Andrew Wheeler will on Monday assume duties as the acting administrator of the EPA. I have no doubt Andy will continue on with our great and lasting EPA agenda. We have made tremendous progress in the future of the EPA was bright. Well, his resignation letter to Donald Trump is appropriately obsequious. I mean, it is supremely obsequious. And Trump is a big Trump defender. Uh, he's a big Pruitt defender, uh, specifically because Pruitt is a big Trump defender. So Pruitt wrote in his letter, quote, it is extremely difficult for me to cease serving you in this role, first because I count it as a blessing to be serving you in any capacity, but also because of the transformative work that is occurring. However, the unrelenting attacks on me personally, my family are unprecedented and have taken a sizable toll on all of us. The talk from inside the administration is that Pruitt was actually forced out. This was not him saying that he wanted to go. And the president says that Pruitt did an outstanding job inside the EPA. So here's just a list 
of the scandals that led to Scott Pruitt stepping down because there's a lot of talk about Pruitt being unfairly targeted here. Okay, it, it, ain't, it ain't great. So, number one, Pruitt fired an aide after she refused to alter appointments on his calendar. So an EPA scheduler was asked to delete and change information about past events on Pruitt's schedule, which could be potentially a violation of federal law since you're not allowed to go back retroactively and change what was on your schedule. EPA lawyers made the aide aware that altering records may be illegal. This is Fortune.com reporting. Scott Pruitt asked his staff to find his wife a job with a salary of at least $200,000, which is not an appropriate use of government staff. She also reportedly agreed that Pruitt had asked subordinates to perform personal work. This is uh, according to Samantha Dravis, a former EPA policy administrator. She told congressional investigators that Pruitt had asked her to help find Pruitt's wife a job and the salary should be at least 200 grand. Scott Pruitt used official channels to try to get a Chick-fil-A franchise for his wife, which is real weird since you can just apply to get a Chick-fil-A franchise. He used a secret email address instead of official ones, even after the Hillary Clinton email scandal. He used a loophole to award staff raises without White House knowledge. Right? This, of course, was very controversial at the time. The White House told Pruitt he couldn't offer high salaries to two of his closest aides, but then he used a loophole in the Safe Drinking Water Act to boost their wages, according to The Atlantic. He rented a Washington, D.C. apartment at a steep discount from a lobbyist. He apparently rented this apartment at 50 bucks a night in Washington, D.C. It was supposedly owned by the wife in a couple who were both lobbyists. Her husband represented clients who had matters in front of the EPA. He chartered lots of flights. He flew first class. Uh, he had a $43,000 soundproof phone booth installed in his office, suggesting that there were just too many people attempting to spy on him. He ordered a, a, an unprecedented security detail. He was saying there were threats against him, which may or may not have been true. And there are a bunch of other issues with Scott Pruitt, and thus he had to step down. Are any of these you know, fireable in and of themselves? Probably not. But when you aggregate them all together, it doesn't look good for Scott Pruitt, and that is why Scott Pruitt is out today, and appropriately, he should be. Again, his resignation letter explains why it is that, that Scott Pruitt was such a favorite of President Trump. He said, Mr. President, it has been an honor to serve you in the cabinet as administrator of the EPA. Truly, your confidence in me has blessed me personally and enabled me to advance your agenda beyond what anyone anticipated at the beginning of your administration. Your courage, steadfastness, and resolute commitment to get results for the American people, both with regard to improved environmental outcomes as well as historical regulatory reform, is in fact occurring at an, at an unprecedented pace. And I thank you for the opportunity to serve you and the American people in helping achieve those ends. That is why it is hard for me to advise you. I am stepping down as administrator of the EPA. My desire and service to you has always been to bless you as you make important decisions for the American people. I believe you are serving as president today because of God's providence. I believe that same providence brought me into your service. I pray as I have served you that I have blessed you and enabled you to effectively lead the American people. Blessing and serving and serving and blessing and blessing and serving and blessing and serving. So there's, there's a reason that Scott Pruitt uh, was a favorite of President Trump's. Uh, he did. He, by the way, what he did in terms of regulatory reform at the EPA, I agree with a lot of that stuff. But when it comes to being a swamp creature, it's pretty clear that, that Scott Pruitt, unfortunately, was one of them. And that's why he had to go. There's a reason that Laura Ingram, for example, was suggesting that Scott Pruitt had to go. Now, with all of this said, the suggestion from the media is that the White House is in turmoil again. Scott Pruitt is out. It's just a constant. It's a constant episode of Survivor over at the White House. This is this is the cover of the New York Daily News. They, they said the same thing. They're basically showing all the members of the Trump administration on the front page, and then it had X'd out Scott Pruitt, and it said out, right? And it said that this was Trump's version of Survivor season two. Okay, so what? So there's lots of turnover. The real question is, is the policy getting done for the American people? Now, I will acknowledge that the perception of instability about the administration is not useful. It is not good, right? The fact is that one of the things the Democrats are counting on with regard to 2020 particularly, is a feeling of general unease about President Trump's administration, a feeling that just in general, things are up in the air too much. There, there's a lot of that. Well, that's not great, but 
Is the policy getting done? The answer is the policy is getting done. The, the policy continues to be quite good other than tariff policy. The economy continues to grow. Report today from the Department of Labor, total non-farm payroll employment increased by 213,000 in June. The unemployment rate rose to 4%, but the unemployment rate increase was only because more people are getting back into the workforce because finally the economy is really, is really moving. Job growth occurred in professional and business services, manufacturing and healthcare, while retail trade lost jobs. Total non-farm payroll increased 213,000 in June, has grown by 2.4 million over the last 12 months. Employment in professional and business services increased by 50,000 in June, has risen by about 521,000 over the year. Manufacturing added 36,000 jobs in June. These are very good numbers for the president of the United States, very good numbers for the country. The participation rates have shown some improvement, labor participation rates. There's a lot of talk during the Obama administration that a lot of people had dropped out of the workforce. Those people are now starting to come back. The workforce participation rate ticked up two-tenths to 62.9%. That's still slightly lower than 63% in February. It's well below the post-Great Recession rate of 65.7%, and it's near the post-Great Recession rate bottom of 62.6%, according to Ed Morrissey over at Hot Air. But at least it's moved in the right direction. The employment population ratio is still at 60.4%, which is still a very low rate. We, we need more people employed. But the fact the unemployment rate went up is actually good news because more people are getting back into the workforce looking for work Again, there's also slow wage growth, but that makes sense because when only six in 10 people are working, there's a lot of people who are still entering the job market, creating competition that makes that, that creates pressure for a lowering of the wages. So you know, all, all of this is good economic news. You know, all of this is, is excellent economic news. And President Trump has a right to be proud of it. President Trump has a right to be proud of the, the economy that he has helped to foster here. Now, with that said, we are, we are looking at more tariffs now you know, the, the, the reason that President Trump is, is, I think, undermining his own economy is with, with his tariff talk. So now President Trump is firing the biggest shot yet in the global trade war, according to the Economic Times, by imposing tariffs on $34 billion of Chinese imports, delivering on a promise to his political supporters that risks provoking retaliation and harming the world economy. So, as I've said many times before, when it comes to tariff policy, I have no problem whatsoever with the President of the United States using tariffs as a tool to lower tariffs in other countries. If he is using tariffs as a ratchet, if the idea here is that there's a tariff on our products somewhere else, so we're putting a tariff on their products here, and now let's lower all the tariffs, that's fine. But the president seems to have a peculiar fondness for tariffs. He thinks that trade wars are easy to win. Well, it turns out the trade wars are, in fact, not easy to win. China is also increasing tariffs, and the EU has increased tariffs, and Mexico has increased tariffs. After months of rhetoric, a 25% levy on $34 billion of Chinese goods entering the United States took effect just after midnight on Wednesday, uh, on Friday, sorry, with farming plows and, and airplane parts among the products targeted, according to Bloomberg. China hit back immediately via duties on U.S. shipments, including soybeans and automobiles, which is not good for the United States economy. Trump is already looking at another $16 billion of Chinese goods, suggesting the final total could top, top $500 billion, more than the U.S. bought in 2017. The, the Chinese Commerce Ministry is accusing the United States of bullying and igniting the largest trade war in economic history. Now, is this going to be good for all the people he's going to need to win in 2020? I don't see how. I mean, there are a lot of soybean farmers who are going to be damaged by the fact that China is now putting new tariffs on all of this. Now, there's still a lot of folks saying that this is not showing a lot of trade fears hurting the United States economy, but we have not seen this play out yet. There's, there was a report yesterday that folks are holding back capital, that there are new reports from the Fed suggesting that businesses are holding back capital investment because they are perturbed about the future of this trade war. Under a full-blown trade war, according to Bloomberg, in which the U.S. slaps 10% tariffs on all other countries and they respond, economists reckon U.S. growth would slow by 0.8 percentage points in 2020. Trump has already imposed duties on foreign steel 
and aluminum imports, drawing a response from the EU and Canada, which fret he may go after automakers next. So none of this is a particularly good policy, but we will find out whether, whether it continues to spiral or whether everybody seems to back down. Because there was another report yesterday that suggests that China was going to lower its tariffs a little bit, which would suggest that President Trump's strength on tariff policy may be a good thing. So we'll talk about that in just a second. First, I want to talk a little bit about your underwear. Because the fact is that it is getting hot out there. And the last thing that you need are uncomfortable underwear in the hot weather. This is why you need Tommy John's. Check out the underwear from Tommy John's, the revolutionary clothing brand that has redefined comfort for people everywhere, including me. Only Tommy John combines the latest in fabric technology with patented wedgie-proof designs for a fit so perfect, it's almost like wearing nothing at all. The wedgie-proof design would have come in very handy for me back in high school. And you will never have to worry about swamp-like conditions below because Tommy John's moisture-wicking fabrics pull perspiration right off the body. So... It's like 110 degrees here in L.A. today. I mean, it is extraordinarily hot here today. I am very grateful that I'm wearing Tommy John. Their cool cotton fabric dries four to five times faster and keeps you two to three times cooler than traditional cotton. Plus, all Tommy John underwear is backed by the best pair you will ever wear or it's free guarantee so you don't have anything to lose. Stay cool and collected all summer long with Tommy John. No adjustment needed. Hurry to TommyJohn.com slash Shapiro and you get 20% off your first order. That's TommyJohn.com slash Shapiro for 20% off. Again, that's TommyJohn.com slash Shapiro. Let them know that we sent you. And again, you will ensure that Tommy John's gets you those underwear at 20% off your first order when you use that promo code Shapiro. So all of that, uh, check that out. Okay, so is, uh, is any of this going to be good for the U.S. economy? Well, the dollar has been knocked. So that's not good. Uh, according, to the, uh, according to the Financial Times, what we are looking at right now, uh, the possibility of a trade war is going to have an impact on the strength of the United States dollar. According to, according to Andrew Milligan, who's the head of global strategy at Aberdeen Standard Investments, with so many mixed messages coming out of Washington, it may be a relief for investors to focus on hard data such as Fed minutes and payrolls report. The combination should reassure investors that whatever the travails of some emerging markets, the U.S. economy remains in robust shape. China's stocks found support, Wall Street equities indices are holding steady, and European bourses are drifting lower in cautious trade as investors tracked the latest round of, in, of the international trade dispute. So the, the U.S. dollar was knocked a little bit. It lifted Wall Street futures back over flatline and pushed treasuries lower. You know, the, the economic reports continue to be good. The dollar index is down 0.5%. Sentiment is still cautious after the increase in the tariffs. There still seems to be a lot of wonderment in the markets at all of this. There's still a lot of talk in the markets about the idea that perhaps none of this will, will come to pass, that perhaps these tariffs will be backed down by Congress. Perhaps everybody will back away, take the hands off the triggers. I hope that that happens. I also don't understand why Congress isn't stepping in and reasserting its trade authority. I don't think the president, no matter which party, should have this much trade authority. It's why I thought the TPP should have been ratified through the Senate. It should not have been a situation where TPP was being signed off on by the president of the United States. All treaties should be ratified by the Senate. The Senate should have the power to look over any sort of tariff arrangements the president of the United States is making. It was not granted under Article 2 of the Constitution. Okay, the presidential power does not include foreign commerce. That is under the legislative power. The idea that, that the president can unilaterally decide tariff rates seems to me foolish and counterproductive if the president wants to continue, continue strengthening the economy. Now, with all that said, the media continue to do an awful job of covering the Trump administration. So yesterday, there was a report from the Associated Press, and it made all the rounds, and the headline was really disturbing. And when I first saw the headline, I too was disturbed. Here was the headline. U.S. Army quietly discharging immigrant recruits. So if you just read that headline from the AP, you would assume that the U.S. Army was quietly discharging immigrant recruits, that they were seeking out people who are immigrants or illegal immigrants who joined the Army for citizenship and then trying to dismiss them out of some sort of misguided xenophobia. 
But that's not actually what the article says. And it turns out that's not the way that any of this works. According to the AP, some immigrant U.S. Army reservists and recruits who enlisted in the military with a promised path to citizenship are being abruptly discharged, the Associated Press has learned. The AP was unable to quantify how many men and women who enlisted through the special recruitment program have been booted from the Army, but immigration attorneys say they know of more than 40 who have been discharged or whose status has become questionable, jeopardizing their future. Okay, so let's start with the statistics here. There are 70,000 members of the United States military who are immigrants. The AP has tracked down 40 and said these 40 are now being discharged. And they say this is because of xenophobia. You might wonder why they're not going after all 70,000 if this is really about xenophobia. The answer is because it's not about xenophobia. According to AP, some of the service members said they were not told why they were discharged. Others who pressed for answers said the army informed them they'd been labeled as security risks because they have relatives abroad or because the Defense Department had not completed background checks on them. So here's the way this works. When you go and you sign up for the military, you are now technically a recruit, but you have not gone through basic training. And if you have not gone through basic training, that is because they've not completed the background check on you. So if you sign up and it turns out that you were once a drug runner for MS-13, you are going to be rejected from the Army. You are now an immigrant recruit rejected under the AP's tally. But the AP is attempting to create the perception that there is a widespread Trump administration policy to get rid of immigrants in the United States military, which by any stretch of the imagination would be a ridiculous policy if it existed. But it doesn't exist because that's not what's happening here. Eligible recruits are required to have legal status in the U.S., such as a student visa before enlisting. More than 5,000 immigrants were recruited into the program in 2016. An estimated 10,000 are currently serving. Most go to the Army. Some also go to other military branches, according to the AP. To become citizens, the service members need an honorable service designation, which can come up after even just a few days at boot camp. But the recently discharged service members have had their basic training delayed, so they can't actually be naturalized. So again, is this really just evil, terrible, horrible, or is this the Defense Department doing exactly what they're supposed to do? The Defense Department says all service members, i.e. contracted recruits, active duty, guard and reserve, and those with an honorable discharge are protected from deportation. So this is not, you know, again, this is dramatic misreporting uh, on a wild level. So CBS News military analyst Mike Lyons actually debunked this. He's a former West Point grad. He said some immigrant U.S. Army reservists and recruits who enlisted in the military with a promised path to citizenship are being abruptly discharged. The Associated Press has learned. But he says that this is not the case. Right. He says that this is this is an exaggeration. He says the story is not framed properly. This happens to natural born citizens, too. I know many U.S. citizens who weren't allowed to start basic because a bad background check came back. Lyons noted that one of many possible reasons why a recruit might not make it to boot camp is because they didn't complete background checks. It could be a myriad of reasons, clearances, failed physicals, bad background checks, which eliminate natural-born citizens as well. The Army in particular needs people. There's another side to this story that's not being told. Lyons says AP reporters, quote, failed to get the other side of the story or sized the issue compared to everyone who enlisted. There's a good reason they are denied entering basic training. Center for Security Policy's Michael Waller explains the murderous immigrant gang known as MS-13 has infiltrated the U.S. Army as well. He says the U.S. is correct to discharge such people and any other security risks. Luckily, the U.S. military has a lot of foreign-born recruits who add immensely to our capabilities. So the, the, everybody sort of jumped to conclusions on this because this is what happens. The media create these false headlines, and then everybody jumps to conclusions based on the false headline, and then it turns out they are simply not true. Retired Army Lieutenant Colonel Margaret Stock who created the so-called military accessions vital to the nat national interest program, has opposed the, the fact that this was combined with the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals program under then-President Barack Obama. Right? This created additional security screenings for those waiting in the MAVNI pipeline, right? the military accessions vital to the national interest pipeline. Uh, Colonel 
stock, Lieutenant Colonel Stock, she said, the decision to pair Mavni with DACA sounded like the death knell for the program because Mavni was never intended as a way to address the hot potato of political citizenship for undocumented long-term residents. She says they made a colossal error, frankly. Instead of trying to recruit the DACA separately, they tried to shove the DACAs into the Mavni program, and that happened to wreck both programs. So just, just brilliant stuff there by the AP, and of course, brilliant stuff there from the Obama administration as per the usual arrangement. Now, in just a second, I have to tell you the stupidest story of the day. It is an incredibly stupid story, and you will love it because it is just that stupid. But first, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Bull and Branch. So, we're never going to agree on everything, but the one thing we can agree on is that none of us are getting enough sleep. Well, one of the reasons you may not be getting enough sleep is because your sheets are uncomfortable. I know, you don't think about your sheets all that often. You went to one of these local retail shops, you picked up some sheets, you didn't think about it much after that, but then every night you're sweating through the sheets and you're thinking, why is this so uncomfortable? Well, that's what Bull and Branch is here to cure. You can buy directly from them, so you're essentially paying wholesale prices. They are made from pure 100% organic cotton. It means that Bull and Branch products start out super soft. They get even softer over time. Luxury sheets can cost up to a thousand bucks in the store. Bull and Branch sheets are only a couple of hundred bucks. You think that's expensive for sheets? It really isn't. It's really cheap for luxury sheets. More than that, it's really comfortable and you're in those sheets every single night, so why wouldn't you actually want to get something nice? Everyone who tries Bull and Branch sheets loves them. We've, we have them at our house. Not only do we have them, we got rid of all of our other sheets. They're so good. That's why they have thousands of five-star reviews. Even three U.S. presidents sleep on Bull and Branch sheets. Shipping is free. You can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a refund, but you're not going to want to send them back. To get started, right now, my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. That's bullandbranch.com, B-O-L-L-N branch.com, promo code Ben for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. Go check it out right now. Bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets. Okay, so the derangement on the left is a source of great amusement to, I think, a lot of people, as well it should be, because um, it's hilarious. This is the is the best article of this kind I have seen in a long time, and I've been reading a lot of these lately, okay? This is the actual title of a real article. This is not fake. This is not pretend. It's by a woman named Bridget Delaney. Bridget Delaney in the UK Guardian, writing on Independence Day. One of the reasons... This article may be one of the reasons we declared independence from Britain. She said, Bridget Delaney writes, I stopped going to the gym because of Trump. Now I can't open jars. That is the actual title of the piece. And she's serious because it's fantastic. So here is what Bridget Delaney writes. It was November 2016. The only person I knew who believed Trump would win the U.S. election was the owner of my gym. This was clearly a ridiculous prediction. So seeing the chance for some easy money, I offered to bet him 100 bucks that Hillary would win. Now the gym owner, clearly not wanting to do his dough, pointed at this horrible thing in the corner with the name Sled and said, if Trump wins, you have to pull 70 kilograms on it. It was double what I could usually pull. And if I won the bet, the gym owner would pull, du will pull double his personal best. I didn't want Trump to win. He would grabbed a woman by the bleep and mocked a reporter's disability. He promised to build a wall and called Mexicans rapists. The thought of his presidency was frightening. That so was pulling the sled. What if I herniated disc? After Trump claimed victory, I went to the gym in a foul mood. Just effing load up the effing sled, all right? Let's get it over with, I said without much grace as I strapped a belt around my waist. I pulled the sled like a human oxen while being filmed. It would be like a human ox, actually. And the gym staff cheered, but I did it. The Trump victory soured my successful show of strength. Yeah, I could pull a pretend sled, but how is that going to help me when the world had been destroyed by nuclear weapons or climate change? Not kidding. Actual article from The Guardian. Hungry and sore, I repaired to a restaurant down the road I had never visited and where I'd never seen anyone come or go from. The silent restaurant, no background music, no other diner, seemed like the perfect place to welcome the end of the global liberal order. What new political order had been born tonight? An elderly waiter appeared and handed me a menu. Most things on it were not available. The one dish that was unspeakably awful and the color and texture of cement was available. I never went back, but I also didn't return to the gym. I associated it now with Donald Trump, the bad meal, and pulling the sled. 
It was November 9th, 2016, and my thinking about fitness changed almost overnight. In tune with the times, it became more Trump, less Obama. Trump explained his exercise routine like this to Reuters. I get exercise. I mean, I walk, I this, I that. I run over to the building next door. I get more exercise than people think. Well, I walked. I this, I that. Months passed, then a year. Trump was going to be in power another thousand years, or at least that's what it felt like, writes this, this crazy person, Bridget Delaney. And then she continues, could I really avoid the gym for the entirety of his presidency? I missed being strong enough to open jars and carry groceries. So last week, I returned to the gym, slinking back in as if no time had passed. I hoped that by wearing a puffy jacket and MC Hammer pants, I could hide my lack of definition, that I could pretend I'd maintain fitness on my own, at home, running to the building next door on the couch while tweeting. But you can't hide fitness. You either have it or you don't. You can either lift the dumbbell or you can wobble on your fifth rep and drop the load. You're either strong or you are weak. And I was weak. I was fit in 2016 before Trump, but when you stop, it goes, and it goes quickly. A week or two and you have to start again with the two kilogram dumbbells and the tremor in your forearms. I returned again this week to the boredom and pain of the gym, trying to build up back to the strength I had before Trump became president. The struggle is Sisyphean. That's a real article that happened in real life, in the world. Yep. Yeah, I, I have a feeling some people can't handle the fact that uh, Trump became president. You getting that impression? Because um, they crazy. Okay, so that, speaking of the crazy, so an actual older gentleman decided that it was necessary to assault a teenager who was wearing a MAGA hat. So this is just wonderful. There's a teenager in Texas who went to a Whataburger restaurant and he's wearing a MAGA hat. He went like 2 a.m. And this guy who was working at the, at the Whataburger decided to go over, rip the MAGA hat over this guy's head and then throw a drink on him. Here's a little bit of what it sounded like. Right now, police are looking for that man who was caught on tape, on camera, throwing a drink at a teenager in that video, the man in the red hat, and walks off with the teenager's hat, pulled it off so aggressively, he also pulled out some hair with it. Okay, so there, there's just a charming, charming fellow. His name is Kino Jimenez. He's a bartender in San Antonio, so he's a genius. Uh, now, maybe he'll be in Congress. I mean, who knows? Bartenders for Congress is like a new thing, apparently. Uh, and uh, and he, is now, uh, he, is, he has now been arrested. Uh, he will probably do some jail time or at least some probation time as well. He should. The part of, of all of this that's, that's hilarious is that there were se seriously a bunch of people uh, on the left who decided that it was worthwhile supporting all of this. Right? The, 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 so, for example, uh, Mark Lamont Hill came out and he suggested support for the MAGA hat stripping guy. He said that it's just terrible. That, uh, that this guy was arrested. So he tweeted out that there's a guy named, I guess, Van Lathan. I don't, I don't know who that is. He says, wish I could take the high road, but um, your MAGA hat reads like a swastika to me. So, um, hmm, yeah, maybe I'm no longer a decent person. Yeah, you're no longer a decent person, right? If, if somebody were wearing a Hillary hat, and I said that Hillary hat stands for abortion on demand and the murder of the unborn, and then I took that person's hat and I threw a soda on them, you'd think I was a jerk because I would be a jerk. Mark Lamont Hill tweeted back a bunch of crying, laughing emojis because it's so funny. Then he says, he still, I actually don't advocate throwing drinks on people, not at all. But yes, I think MAGA hats deliberately reflect a movement that conjures racism, homophobia, xenophobia, etc. So yes, it's a little harder to feel sympathy when someone gets Coca-Cola thrown on him. So in other words, I don't condone throwing drinks on people, but I sort of condone throwing drinks on people. Well, you wonder why President Trump is so popular with the base. The reason is because President Trump's basic attitude toward the world is F all these people. And that's his basic attitude toward the world. And when you hear Michael Eric Dyson, a professor at, I think, Georgetown, talking about how Republicans are all racist, you get the appeal for, for a lot of Trump supporters. Here's Michael Eric Dyson going crazy on CNN as per his usual routine. 
Martin Luther King Jr. said, it's not the white supremacists who are the problem, it's white moderates and conservatives who tend to be complicit with that by trying to dismiss it. Uh, Brother Jennings, much respect for you, but this is ludicrous. What you're doing is even more egregious because you're attempting to justify, legitimate, and make valid what are essentially naked, raw statements of racism. Mm -hmm. And until white folk like you can stand up and find your spine, you will continue to be complicit in the racist okay. animus of this country. Okay, so for, for all of the people who actually voted for President Trump, for all the people who plan on voting for President Trump, and for all the people who are doing so because they think the Democrats are nuts and because they like Trump on policy, being called a racist is actually not all that pleasant. It's the worst thing you can call somebody in American life, as my mentor Andrew Breitbart used to say, calling people racist just because you disagree with them on policy or because they support a politician you don't like is a pretty astonishing charge. And it's one of the reasons why Trump is so all-fired popular right now. It's because he goes to rallies and he doesn't seem to care. He, he just goes and he says what he wants to say. And that has some serious appeal for a lot of folks on the right. So President Trump was rallying in Montana, in Great Falls, Montana. Trump obviously loves this stuff. So I was on Fox News yesterday, and I was supposed to be on at the time that President Trump was speaking, which means they, they push you off until President Trump is done speaking because he's the president and they like to cover his rallies, which makes perfect sense. So Trump goes on and on. He went for an hour and 12 minutes yesterday at this rally in Great Falls, Montana, which is extraordinarily long for the president. And it, it's a long comedy routine, right? Everything that he does is basically a long comedy routine. It's really, really funny. It's really irreverent. Half the stuff he says is, is not strictly speaking true, but... A lot of it is is really driving and powerful. And Trump is, is he punches back, right? I mean, this is why they love him. You, you get the people saying, I can't open a jar anymore because I won't exercise thanks to Trump. And you get people saying that they're going to rip hats off teenagers' heads. And you have people saying that all Republicans are racist. And it comes off as kind of refreshing when the president of the United States is willing to get down in the mud and, and, put, and punch a little bit. Here's the president of the United States going after the protester who decided to climb the Statue of Liberty, Clip 6. You saw that clown yesterday on the Statue of Liberty? You see the guys that went up there? I wouldn't have done it. I would have said, let's get some nets and let's wait till she comes down. Just get some nets. Really? You see those guys, the bravery of doing that? What a group. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, okay, honestly, like, all right, like, uh, I know, uh, should I be upset that he said that they shouldn't go up and rescue the lady? She wanted to be up there, so I don't really see the problem. I, I kind of agree with him. I'm not sure why anybody should risk their life. We'll get some nets up there. We'll get, like, how about we, we should just surround the Statue of Liberty with bounce houses, and the lady can jump down onto bounce houses. So uh, you wonder why people like Trump. That's why people like Trump. And there was more like this, right? It was just, the, this is the best part of it. He goes after Elizabeth Warren. And Elizabeth Warren, of course, has been virtue signaling. Some people, Charlie Cook is saying he thinks she's the front runner for 2020, which would be a huge mistake by Democrats. Elizabeth Warren is Hillary Clinton part two, except less charming. Uh, and Elizabeth Warren wants to run and she's been, you know, virtue signaling all over the place. She's really awful. She's aw I mean, I had her as, a, I didn't have her as a professor at Harvard Law, but I was at Harvard Law when she was a professor there. Uh, she was not well liked, shall we say, among those of us uh, on, on the right uh, or those of us who, who just didn't like people who were kind of mean generally. Um, but she, but Trump goes after her uh, because of her fake Native American ancestry. This is just spectacular. Let's say I'm debating Pocahontas, right? And in the middle of the debate, when she proclaims that she's of Indian heritage because her mother said she has high cheekbones, I will give you a million dollars to your favorite charity paid for by Trump if you take the test and it shows you're an Indian, you know. 
<laughs> now, is that actually going to happen? No. But Elizabeth Warren knows she's not Native American. That's the part that's hysterical. So she tweeted out, well, Donald Trump wants to give DNA tests to everyone, to me, to immigrant children at the border. Yeah, first of all, the immigrant children at the border being given DNA tests, you know the reason they're given DNA tests. It's to determine that the people who say they are their parents are actually their parents. That's legitimately why they are given DNA tests at the border, because we want to make sure that it's not human smugglers who are trying to bring children in for human trafficking. But I love that Elizabeth Warren tries to re just to swivel off of the fact that she's not Native American, but continues to claim Native American ancestry. You got to love the guy when he says this kind of stuff. Right? That, that's, that's really funny stuff. Okay, I have a little bit more on that. Plus, I want to get to the mailbag. First, we're going to have to go over to dailywire.com. And you're going to have to subscribe. For $9.99 a month, you get the rest of this show live. And you can be part of our mailbag. You can get your questions answered today. When we have our events, like we have big events coming up in Dallas and Phoenix, get your tickets now because they are running out at dailywire.com slash events. If you are a subscriber, you would have first access to the VIP tickets. And those are the people who we actually get to hang out backstage and become best friends and go fishing together and everything. It's going to be great. But you get to, when you're a subscriber, you get all of those privileges. Also, you get the rest of Andrew Clavin's show live, the rest of Michael Knowles' show live. When you become the annual subscriber, 99 bucks a year, you get this. The very greatest in all beverage vessels, the leftist tears, hot or cold tumbler. Look at it. Behold its glory. And when you subscribe at YouTube or iTunes, which you can do for free, you also get to be, you also get to see our Sunday special. This Sunday special this week is pretty awesome. Sam Harris stopped by. We talked religion and God and the Bible and atheism and all sorts of goodies. So go check that out. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast in the nation. So President Trump's entire instinct always is to punch back. And in a time when the left is so aggressive, and they were so aggressive with Mitt Romney, you know, the, it's, it's loved by the base. And I see why it is loved by the base. It's something that in 2011, actually, I wrote a column about Donald Trump. You know, before I was not a fan of Donald Trump in 2015. In 2011, I wrote a column about Donald Trump in which I said that he had F you money and an F you attitude. And it's why he might be the only person who could beat Barack Obama in 2012. I was right in 2011 because that is the thing people like about Donald Trump. And so long as the left continues to play directly into his hands by being as extreme as humanly possible, he is going to continue to succeed along these lines. Okay, let's do the mailbag and let's get into some of your questions today. So Cameron says, Dear Ben, can you tell us the origin of the Daily Wire? Did you and Jeremy Boring meet secretly in the Hollywood Hills under the pale moonlight to lay your plans? Were the two of you doused with cosmic rays, transforming him into the lowercase g, lowercase gay god king, and you into the bringer of leftist tears? And more specifically, did you ever consider being anything other than a strictly conservative outlet? Uh, so he says that we, sh we might consider hiring liberals and branching out uh, to become more of an objective newsroom. So the story of how Daily Wire came to be is that Jeremy Boring and I have been good friends for eight years and business partners for approximately five now, four or five years. Uh, so Jeremy and I started Truth Revolt together, which was a subset of the David Horowitz Freedom Center. Uh, when Truth Revolt was defunded, uh, then we decided to move on and we had a plan for Truth Revolt that we had planned on doing inside the David Horowitz Freedom Center. And instead, we took it to our funders. And our funders liked the plan. They looked at it. They said that they're willing to, to get behind it. Uh, and that's how Daily Wire began. It really was essentially that simple. There are some really good stories surrounding the formation of the company. Uh, there are you know, people who, there, there was one particular group that didn't understand our business plan that we talked to. And I won't mention the group because it's a little embarrassing for them considering you know, how, how well the company, thank God, has done. But one, there was a, there was, it was an older group of, of people. And I was trying to explain to them exactly how the, company would, how the company would operate, how we would actually make our money. And so I was explaining to them how we were going to spend a lot of money on social media marketing and how that was going to translate into traffic for our website and how this in turn would generate more money that we could use for social media marketing and all the rest. And they seriously didn't get it. 
And he said, can, we, can you make that simpler? And I said, yes. And I took out a napkin and I took a pen and I wrote dollar sign, arrow, Facebook, arrow, website, arrow back to dollar sign. That was the entire business plan. Uh, needless to say, that, did, that meeting did not go well. But there was an, but eventually we got our funding. Uh, at, at one of the funding meetings, uh, there's a, a, a very funny story where uh, I, was, I was meeting with a funder and one of the funders, uh, you know, billionaire, said something like, well, you know, we have a lot of people who come in here and, and those people, you know, ask constantly for money and they all have very similar business plans. They all, they all want to get into sort of conservative media. So, you know, what, ma- what, makes you, what, what makes you so special? And I said, well, I'm better at, at this than any of them. And uh, he started laughing and that, that meeting did go well. So <laughs> you never know what's going to work at a business meeting. All I will say is that sometimes being brash hurt, helps you and sometimes being brash hurts you. Uh, as far as whether we are interested in moving into you know, more objective news coverage, listen, I'm happy to have debates on the site with people on the left. I'd be happy to do point counterpoint right and left on Daily Wire. I think that would actually be kind of fun. As far as our reportage, I'm not going to report from the left because I think the left is wrong. Okay, Michael says, Ben, if you're president, who are some people you would want as advisors? I'd want Thomas Sowell on economics. Uh, I would probably want on foreign policy both uh, both John Bolton and maybe Angela Cotavia from, from just for a difference of opinion at Claremont Institute. Um, I think that, um, you know, on, on some of the kind of domestic political issues. Dana Perino would be great because she really knows the ins and outs. There, there are a lot of really great people. Uh, Veronica says, how can we get Republican officials to understand and stand up for conservative values rather than caving to Democrat bullying and doing just enough to get reelected? Who are our new GOP leaders? Well, the truth is that virtually everybody you elect has a set of incentives. And that set of incentives is to do just enough to get reelected. And the only way to stop them from doing that is that you do have to primary people who you think are not doing enough. As far as new GOP leaders, they're all from solid red states. So I think that Mike Lee is a solid GOP leader. He's from Utah. He feels safe. And that means that he has the capacity to really push. But the tug and pull of of national politics is, I I will admit, is very difficult. My job is a lot easier than their job. I I get to sit here and say exactly what I think, what I think is right. A lot of these folks are trying to balance staying in office to to prevent Democrats from being in office uh, and getting things done. If If you're in a swing district from New York, it's not quite the same thing as being in a solid red state like Utah. Would I prefer more conservative leadership out of Republicans in Congress? You bet I would. Do I think we can get more? I do. Um, do I think Mitch McConnell has been stalwart on enough issues? No. But with that said, I think that we ought to give our legislators a little more credit than to think that they're all quite as cynical as we make them out to be sometimes uh, in the talk radio business. Canyon says, Dear Ben, what is your opinion on a convention of states? I know the late Justice Scalia had a negative view of the idea and voiced his concerns. I don't see any other way to pass amendments that would repeal the 16th Amendment and institute a fair tax, for example. Thanks. Love the show. I'm a fan of the convention of states. I think the convention of states is a fine idea. I know there are lots of concerns about a quote-unquote runaway convention where people just start proposing random ideas and suddenly they're being ratified by the states. But anything that you pass at the convention of states still has to be ratified by the states. So I don't really see how that is going to happen. So I'm, I'm fine with the idea of a convention of states. I think it's quite a good idea the Article 5 Convention of States. Morris says, the Supreme Court ruled last week non-union members cannot be compelled to pay union dues to unions they do not support. Do you believe this ruling can challenge the constitutionality of the Obamacare individual mandate? Well, the answer is no. The reason the answer is no is because the Obamacare individual mandate has been held to be a tax, not a fine. It has not been held to be, they're fining you to force you to buy. It's been held to be a tax in lieu of you buying. Okay, that is not what the statute says. That is why the Obamacare decision is a travesty of justice. It has nothing to do with the actual text of the, of the Obamacare bill. It's one of the reasons why I'm very skeptical about Judge Kavanaugh, who's now being considered for the Supreme Court by President Trump, because in his opinion, at the D.C. Circuit Court level, he tried to avoid jurisdiction on Obamacare altogether by claiming that it was a tax rather than a fine. 
if it were considered a fine, it would have been ruled unconstitutional on its face, probably. Michael says, Hey, Ben, I, I was wondering about how you classify someone as being evil. I believe someone can commit evil acts and not be evil, but at what point do the bad decisions firmly become who you are? Well, you know, I would say that as a general rule, calling individual human beings evil, unless they are clearly, you know, in the evil category or Stalin or Hitler or something, calling human beings evil is a difficult thing to do unless they are actually a murderer or a rapist. If you're a murderer or a rapist, I have a feeling that we can call you evil with a pretty fair bit of confidence. I don't think that we have to worry too much about you, you know, actually being a good person if you're a murderer or rapist. Uh, if, however, you are just a person who has shoplifted once, right? You're a person who did something, you were an alcoholic when you were young and then and, and you were abusive to people and then you got over it and you, and you repented. Uh, are you wholly evil? You know, the, Maimonides has a basic view of this and that is that there are people who we consider good where their good deeds outweigh their bad deeds, and there are people who we consider evil, where their bad deeds outweigh their good deeds. And then there are the benonim, right? The people who are sort of in between. Uh, and this raises a bunch of questions, which is like, okay, well, are you only in the middle when you have exactly the same number of sins as, as merits, basically? The answer is no. The answer is that you have to consider yourself basically a person in the middle of your entire life. The minute you consider yourself good, you're likely to do evil. The minute you're, you consider yourself evil, you are likely to do evil. So you should consider yourself as a person who's always walking, that fine razor sharp edge between good and evil, and this will keep you on the straight and narrow. But generally, we should be uh, we should be an analyzing the acts of human beings rather than character as a general rule. Ryan says, Ben, very often you say this is not what the founders intended. Does that mean you think there was no sort of intellectual progress since the United States was founded? No, of course there's been intellectual progress since the United States was founded on a wide variety of issues, but there has been no intellectual progress on eternal truths regarding the nature of human beings. In fact, I think there's been very little development intellectually on on eternal truths regarding human beings for thousands of years. I think human nature has been pretty well understood by great philosophers and great poets and great thinkers for thousands of years. I don't think much has changed among human beings. And I think the attempt to play human nature as intensely malleable has been one of the great causes of suffering in the last two centuries. Rachel says, do you think the tariffs will last? What it, mean, what it means to businesses, both small and large, to source materials, components, or sub-assemblies from China to be built into final products here? I doubt the tariffs will last. I think this is probably a short-term thing. I hope it's a short-term thing. If it's not, I hope that Congress steps in and stops it. Um, but obviously, it's going to raise costs for inputs for businesses in the United States who use Chinese product. And the, the, this silly idea that it doesn't damage American businesses in any way to put tariffs on Chinese goods that are being imported to the United States is just, it, it's economically foolish. And Dustin says, what do you think the odds are that Ginsburg or Breyer retire in 2020 to try and get more Democrats out to vote? Also, can you make Knowles wear a wig so people don't think I'm watching Maddow? It's embarrassing. Uh, well, I can't. I can. I can barely get Knowles to wear a shirt. So, uh, you know, getting him to wear a wig, I think, might be a little bit much. Uh, as far as the odds that Ginsburg or Breyer retire in 2020, no way. They are not retiring in 2020. They will retire in 2021 if a Democrat is elected, and they will retire never if Donald Trump is reelected. They will stay as long as a Republican is in power. I don't think they want to risk their seats uh, with the possibility of an incumbent winning, particularly because incumbents have such a good record in presidential elections. Elise says, hi, Ben, you're frequently asked about the future of the Republican Party. What do you think the future of the Democratic Party is? How radical do you think it will become in the future? Well, the Democratic Party has been moving steadily more radical and now exponentially more radical over the past several years. I think they're going to embrace full-scale Bernie Sanders democratic socialism. I think you're going to see them embrace Medicare for all. I think you're going to see them embrace, uh, see them embrace uh, full-scale nationalization of particular industries. I think you're going to see them embrace a just blowout in government spending. I think that you're going to see them embrace virtually all the all the planks of, of Bernie Sanders' platform, a right to housing, a right to health care, uh, a right to free college education. I think all of this is on the table for Democrats. And I think they're not going to quit with their intersectional nonsense because they see that 
as the, as the spine of their support base. So you're going to see a, a mashup between the two worst elements of the Democratic Party, the socialism and the intersectional identity politics. Kyle says, Ben, I went to a high school just outside of the Madison area in Wisconsin. During our study of the Great Depression, we were taught that Hoover did not believe in government intervention in the markets. And because of this, the Depression lasted longer than it had to. Is there any merit to this statement? No. This is one of the great lies in American history. One of the great lies in American history is that Hoover, Herbert Hoover was a, was a fellow who deeply believed in the free markets. That is revisionist history. Herbert Hoover, according to members, Seriously, according to members of the FDR administration, Herbert Hoover was a person who attempted to implement virtually everything, virtually everything that Democrats eventually attempted to implement. Seriously, like it, it, this is it's such an amazing and nonsensical and stupid argument that Herbert Hoover was a was a, an emissary of the right when it came to policy. In 1930, Hoover imposed Smoot-Hawley tariffs. That was leftist policy, which crippled global trade. Global trade dropped to a small fraction of what it had been. He blew out the federal budget. In 1929, the federal budget was $3.1 billion. By 1932, he had increased it nearly 50%. In real dollars, Hoover doubled the federal budget. Since the Great Depression came along with deflation, his deficits ran higher than FDR's did all the way until World War II. Hoover participated in subsidies to agriculture on a massive scale. He tried to pressure firms not to cut workers and wages. He forced the government to pay above market wages for federal projects. He pursued government-sponsored loans to states and banks. He pressed enormous tax increases. Right? This is Herbert Hoover, Herbert Hoover, quote, We met the situations with proposals to private business and the Congress of the most gigantic program of economic defense and counterattack ever evolved in the history of the Republic. This is a member of FDR's brain trust, according to Stephen Horowitz, quote, when we all burst into Washington, we found essentially every idea of the New Deal enacted in the 100-day Congress in the Hoover Day, in the Hoover administration itself. So yes, this is all a lie. It's just not true. Okay, fine, let's see. A couple more questions. Ryan says, King Benjamin of the House Shapiro, King of the Conservatives and the First Men, I have one inquiry of you, Your Grace. What is your opinion on term limits for Congress, Supreme Court, and governors? Thank you for your time and consideration, Your Grace. Long may you reign. Well, I'm in favor of term limits for Supreme Court justices. I think the idea of having... Uh, lifetime appointments has outlived its usefulness, considering that people are sitting on the court for 50, 60 years and it turns into this ghoulish death watch. Having a rotation seems to me perfectly reasonable. Having an 18 or 20 year term seems to me just fine. Uh, as far as elected positions, I'm not in favor of term limits. I think you should be elected as much as you want in, in any elected capacity. Uh, and you, you see incumbents get thrown out more and more frequently these days, it seems. Uh, so I, I think that it makes a lot of sense for, for us to leave the no term, term limits rule in place. If, you, if people can't handle it, that's their own problem. It's a democracy. Okay, so it's time for a couple of things that I like and then a couple of things that I hate. So things I like. This is not a good movie. Okay, it's not a good movie, but it is an enjoyable movie. The movie is Death Wish. Now, the original Death Wish, I think, have I endorsed, have I had the original Death Wish as a thing I like on the show before? I haven't? Okay, the original Death Wish is a fantastic movie. The Charles Branson Death Wish is a great movie. It was made during the 1970s in the heyday of New York being an absolute crap hole. New York being a high crime, awful place to live where Times Square is basically a giant dung heap. Okay, and that movie is great because it's Charles Bronson. And basically the plot of the movie is that these two thugs, one of whom I believe is Jeff Goldblum, like very, very young Jeff Goldblum. They break into uh, his apartment and they rape his wife and daughter and kill his wife and uh, leave his daughter basically catatonic. Uh, and he is this kind of soft-spoken architect. And he, and bereft, he just starts basically wandering the streets. And one day he tries to confront somebody, gets beaten up by a criminal. He's literally, the, the, the movie is literally a liberal mug by reality. And then the next time he goes out, he takes a, a, a roll of quarters in a sock. And somebody tries to mug him. And he turns around and hits the guy in the face with it. And then he goes out and he gets a gun. 
and he starts basically gunning down every criminal he can find. And the crime rate in New York City begins to plummet because criminals are suddenly afraid they're going to be shot. And people all over the city start to say, okay, well, if I'm going to be mugged, I'm going to fight back. And the city doesn't know what to do because on the one hand, they've got this vigilante who is just going out and shooting criminals. And on the other hand, the crime rate is dropping precipitously. So the original movie is really good and super politically incorrect. There's, this, there's even a scene in the original Death Wish from the 1970s with Bronson where Bronson is walking through a party and people are all talking about him, right? They don't know who he is, but they're talking about this, the vigilante. And, um, and there's this conversation going on where somebody says, I think it's a, a black person says, well, I think he's racist because he's disproportionately shooting black people. And the person answers, well, maybe there should be fewer black criminals and then he wouldn't have to shoot as many black people, basically. I mean, it's supremely politically incorrect. <laughs> My goodness. Uh, so the original Death Wish is a good movie. The new version with Eli Roth uh, is not nearly as good. They turn it into sort of a, of a fugitive Death Wish mashup in which it's a deliberate targeting of his home. It's a deliberate robbery. And he ends up basically tracking down the people who did this stuff to his wife uh, and his daughter, but it is enjoyable nonetheless. I mean, there, there's full-scale scenes devoted to him learning how to use a gun, learning how guns work, watching videos on YouTube on how to clean and disassemble a gun, uh, learn, going to a gun shop where there's like this very busty blonde, this kind of upbeat busty blonde who's explaining to him how guns work. It's just great. Uh, and and um, it's got some really gory, horrific scenes, but it is, it's not as good as the original Death Wish, but the fact the left hates it so much it's simply because the movie is pro-gun and, uh, and anti-crime. It, it really is that simple. So uh, here's a little bit of the preview. Doc, something has happened. You can't go in there. Dad, where's mom? I love my family. I failed to protect them. I'm sorry, Dr. Kersey, nothing yet. So there's nothing that I can do? Is that what you're saying? You can have faith. How'd faith work out for them? If a man really wants to protect what's his, he has to do it for himself. Okay, so you can see why conservatives would like this film, right? Uh, so, the, so the film is uh, good. The film is, it, it, well, it's not good. It's, it's not a good film. It's an enjoyable film. So go check it out. Also, Bruce Willis is just fun in everything. Oh, man, this scene right here. Woo uh, yeah, it gets really ugly really quickly. So, um, yeah, that what happens right there is uh, not pleasant. Uh, so, okay, time for a couple of things that I hate. All right, so thing I hate, number one, Bill Clinton says that uh, he has done his penance, right? So he's asked on The Daily Show, they're going to continue to try to Bill Clinton the left, and they're going to continue to offer him opportunities to pretend that he actually did penance regarding his sexual uh, infidelities and sexual perversions and proclivities uh, during the 1990s, and he's going to continue lying about it. Here's what he said on Comedy Central. The left will let him get away with this, obviously. We're all trying to work our way through, not all of us, but most of us are, trying to wake our way through how we can use this moment to build a better country in person after person after person's lives. And that should be the number one priority of everybody. That's what we should be, how we should think about this Me Too moment. This is a, we can't waste it. We got to do better. We got to do better. I, I love having Bill Clinton lecture all of us on Me Too. Dude, you were credibly alleged to have raped a woman. And you were credibly alleged to have sexually abused several women. And now he's sitting there. I, my, my favorite part of all these interviews is just that James Patterson, who co-authored this novel with him, has to sit there and, and deal with it. Like James Patterson, who's probably the best-selling author of all time, is sitting there just looking like you. Every single interview, he looks like depressed Mitch McConnell. Like he just wants to crawl into a hole and just lie there for a while. It's pretty spectacular. So 
yeah, would the left ever allow Donald Trump to get away with this stuff? Of course not. But Bill Clinton, they'll allow him to get away with it continuously because they all worship at the altar because he supports abortion and all of their political agenda. Okay, I have to show you one more thing that I hate, but also kind of love. So this is thanks to Colton. Colton is uh, one of the people, he's employee of the month here at Daily Wire, a prestigious title that comes along with a little note that goes in a frame. But Colton was walking around the office showing this to people, which begs the question as to what he's doing in his off hours. Uh, but apparently he saw this, this tape on YouTube and decided that I had to see it. Apparently there is something called ponying that happens, I guess this is in New Orleans, which apparently is a weird place. Uh, and um, let's just play it because there are, are very few words that can describe what's happening here. We're out here having a pony play competition where people compete in events and classes just the same as real horses. This is a pony fetish festival. These pony play hobbyists in New Orleans, Louisiana dress up and compete in show jumping events dressed from head to toe in horse gear. Okay, so. When ponies put on the gear, it puts them into what they call pony space. And it's pony space. a lot of people that once they put the gear on, that actually turn into horses. When I put the bit in his mouth, it's like a ritual between us. He needs that transition to get into headspace. And I can feel through the bit when he actually kind of changes from like human space to like pony space. So now I'm going to leave him here for a minute for pony space before we take him out in for the reining competition. Because I found for us, during play, if I just put him in the gear, yeah. and then we go immediately do it, mm -hmm. it doesn't give him time to transition uh -huh. into his head space that allows him to express himself as a pony. <laughs> okay, so just to be clear, folks, if you're not watching this, it's not just that they're dressed up in like full-on horse suits. They're not. They're dressed up in basically the gimp suit from from Pulp Fiction, dressed as ponies in gimp suits, walking around, competing, kicking carts. Um, yeah. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. Can we, Who are we to judge? Can we judge? And who are we to say that these people ha are not actual ponies? That's the real question. They've entered the pony space. They are now ponies. So, you know, he here's the real question. You know, if they say they're a pony, who are you to say they are not a pony? Who are you? Who are you to define them? What makes you so cishuman? What makes you, why can't they go by their preferred pronouns? Right, they can be nay, who knows? Any pronoun they choose, why not? Who, how dare you, sir? How dare you, madam? How dare she? You know, you, this, these are legitimate ponies. These are just as real as the ponies that you would see at a ranch somewhere. Okay, and if they choose to run out there with the ponies, and if they choose to poop in the fields, and if they choose, if they choose to use bit and bridle, well, then that is their problem. And you sitting there laughing at them, judging at them, they don't need your scorn. They don't need your scorn. Your bullying is what is causing them their suffering. It, it, is, it is you. Do you understand? It is your fault. You. It's society's intolerance that creates these sorts of situations where beautiful, stunning, poetic horses like this have to be, <laughs> they have to be let, let free only far from the city. Why can't they live among us? Why can't we have beautiful, pristine animals, creatures of God like this among us in the city? Why not? I mean, horses are all part of our lives. Why? Okay, so, you know, I, I think that it's, uh, 
I, I would also say that there, there is a sad side to, to pony space. So the, the sad side to pony space is that when they break their legs, you have to shoot them. And that's, that's the real sad side here. Because, you know, if they were human and they broke their leg, you would just take them to the hospital. But if they're, if they're in the pony space, when they break their legs, they cannot be healed. They are now ponies. And you actually have to put them down for their own sake. Because the legs are not going to heal. I mean, I suppose you could try to do like they did with that racehorse a few years ago and like suspend them in a pool for a month or something. But are they really worth the trouble? Most horses are not running at the Kentucky Derby. So I don't know. But this is it's, it's very, you know, it's disturbing that we would be so intolerant, that we wouldn't take them seriously, that we would not take their hobbies seriously. You know, these are I love this. They say they have to be vanilla upright citizens Monday through Friday. So to get out and pretend to be something else is so much fun. But they're not pretending. Even this woman doesn't understand the reality of the pony space. Understand the reality of the pony space. Respect the pony space. And if you see one of these ponies on the street, out of the goodness of your heart, give them a carrot and a lump of sugar. Well, we'll be back here next week with all of the latest updates, presumably not from pony space because what the living. And we'll have all the updates from the Supreme Court because Trump's going to be back here on Monday making his Supreme Court decision, I believe, Monday night. So we'll be here for that. This is the Ben Shapiro show and i am ben shapiro <laughs> thrown off by the pony space man just thrown off by the pony space the ben shapiro show is produced by senya villareal executive producer jeremy boring senior producer jonathan hay our supervising producer is mathis glover and our technical producer is austin stevens edited by alex zingaro audio is mixed by mike caramina hair and makeup is by jesua alvera the ben shapiro show is a daily wire forward publishing production copyright forward publishing 2018 We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.